The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Morning. I invite you to take a copy of the Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 49. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, there's one under a chair in front of you, page 472 in the chair Bible. I invite you to turn there. And while you're looking there on the back of the chair is a guest card. If you're a first time uh, as a guest with us today or you've been visiting for a while and hadn't let us know, if you fill out the information on that and drop it in the offering plate at the end of our service, that will let us know that you were here today. And we certainly are glad that each of you have come. Before we launch into Psalm 49, I want to let you know about a sabbatical that's happening. Our pastoral care pastor, David Bell Isle, who faithfully serves us week in and week out, doing pastoral care, caring for us in our times of greatest need, is going to be on a sabbatical for the next two months. Pastor Mike Rice is going to be filling in that role and taking care of us on a day to day basis. So please pray for Pastor David that he'll rest and be rejuvenated. Um, I don't say this lightly. The hardest job on our staff is pastoral care. It is the most emotionally exhausting thing that anybody does. So, with that said, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I know a bunch of you do. If you have David Bellisle's phone number, you are not allowed to use it for the next two months. Seriously, if you call him, he'll come. He will. And and we're going to negate what we've asked him to do, to rest and unharness for a period of time because we're praying that David's going to have many more years to serve among us in the role of pastoral care. So please pray for him as he seeks and finds uh, some rest over the next couple of months. He's with all of his kids this week, so he's excited about that. Psalm 49 is where we are. Uh, I want to invite you to stand. Joseph's going to come and read the text. Psalm 49. To the choir master. Psalm of the sons of Korah. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of a lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die. The fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. Though they call lands by their name. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep, they are appointed for shield. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in shield with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of seal. For he will receive me, Selah. But now, but not after the, excuse me, 
But not, be not afraid when man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though, while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will not go to the generations of his father, who will never see the light again. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. This is a sobering text. This is your word. It is clear. It is confrontational. And it speaks to who we are and where we live. We thank you that in it there is hope and that there is gospel and that you will ransom our soul. So speak to us now in Christ's name. Amen. Most of us, even if we're active in living out our faith, struggle with materialism. We think in terms of things rather than thinking in spiritual realities. We think in things that we can see. And let's just be honest. We are inclined to trust in our wealth and what we can accomplish with it. Now, let me just say this. When I use the word wealth, I don't necessarily mean wealthy. Wealth is what you have. Why is it that we're like this? We live in a world that people are convinced, we call it a secular age, that this is all there is, what you can see and taste and touch and feel. And we may profess to believe otherwise, but often we live like this is it. I want you to just consider your own life today. Consider your personal pursuits, that which you're after. Consider the pursuits of your family. What is the desire for you parents and grandparents? What is the desire you have for your children and grandchildren? Let me pose a question. If you had to choose between you or your children or grandchildren, if you had to choose between being successful and well taken care of and following Christ, if those had to be a choice, which would you choose? Psalm 49 speaks into our inclination to trust ourselves and to trust our wealth, what we have. So what I want you to see today, this is the main idea, is that man-centered trust leads to death, but God-centered trust leads to life. This psalm begins with a prelude, an introductory call. The psalm's a little different. Most of the psalms are a prayer or a praise a song of prayer, or a song of praise. This is a sermon written in a song. It says to the choir master, the psalm of the sons of Korah, hear this all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world. Now here's going to be one of your tendencies to do with a sermon. I'm not wealthy, this isn't talking to me. And the psalm begins intentionally. This is a message for everybody. All people, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. In other words, I'm going to say it clear and I'm going to say it in the way you can understand it. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyres. He's using music to accomplish it. The major part of this psalm is 
centered around what I call man-centered trust and that man-centered trust leads to death. So the psalmist goes right after the issues of the heart, our fears and our desires. So friends, this teaching is going to confront and corner every one of us this morning. I pray every week that the Bible affect me before I get up and preach in front of you. And I just want to say that this has dealt deeply with my own heart as I've worked through this text. As they're having the other two services, there are likely to be some pretty quiet moments today. That uneasy silence in the room when we know. So, where does man-centered trust come from? I'm going to identify three areas in this text of how we get here. First is a wrong understanding of wealth. Why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of riches? So we live in a time where people are arguing, I made a lot, I want to make more, and an argument where I don't make enough, I want some of yours, and this argument's going to go on politically ad nauseum. The Bible's not entering into the fray of who's right in that argument. The Bible's giving you a completely different perspective. Because both people in these two groups are driven by the same thing. They both want more. Why should I fear when things are difficult? This is in the context of economic difficulty. And we're not in an economic downturn right now. But I've lived long enough and I've pastored long enough to tell you a downturn's coming. And when it comes, we have anything to be afraid of. Even if people around us are cheating us and getting at things the wrong way, here's what we need to see. Fear comes from trusting in wealth. When we trust in wealth, what are we trusting it for? They're trusting in wealth for salvation or for deliverance to get us out of trouble. Now, what follows in verses 7 and on is the sober reality of wealth and possessions. And that is this reality. Money cannot save you from death. And money cannot save you from eternal punishment. Or, put it this way, wealth cannot buy eternal life. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. So here's what God's saying. You cannot put a price tag on your life such that you or anybody in your stead could come up with enough money to purchase your life and ultimately to purchase eternal life that you should live forever. In fact, nobody can pay enough to extend your life. Voltaire, who was a famous atheist and author, came to the end of his life. He called for a doctor. He was a wealthy man. 
he called for a doctor and told the doctor he would give him half of everything he, he had if he could just extend his life six more months. Voltaire died a few weeks later. He died in despair. One old pastor said it this way, death laughs at our bags of gold. Man's life and eternal life are solely and completely at the disposal of the Lord God Almighty. No man can ransom another. No person can give to God the price of his life. You cannot buy your way out of death and you cannot purchase eternal life. So whatever wealth you have, whatever you have on this earth, it has no currency in heaven. We got out of a taxi cab in Turkey and I handed the man what I thought was $100 Turkish. It was 100 rubles. That's Russian money. And I thought he was going to hit me because I handed him about 50 cents. It had no currency. It, did, it had no effect. Whatever you have has no effect in heaven. It cannot purchase for you eternal life. Come back to this idea of ransom in a moment. So this man-centered trust comes from a, a wrong understanding of wealth and what wealth can do. But there's something deeper underneath that. It, it comes from a wrong understanding of life and death. This confronts this delusion that we're invincible. That we're somehow going to live on forever. I was at an estate sale a few months ago, and we're at a home. And if you're at an estate sale, that means somebody died, okay? And whatever you have, they're going to sell it cheap. That's just how it works. And then somebody's going to take it to their house, and they're going to die, and somebody's going to sell it cheaper. This is how it continues. And the daughter of this woman who had passed away was there, and this lady walked in who knew her and said, How's your mom? I mean, immediately I'm thinking, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard. I don't even know these people. The lady looked at her and said, Mama's dead. She died? Oh. Like we're shocked. Death's coming. It's coming. You say, well, I eat right. I'm not belittling eating right. I, I try not to eat wrong. Took a minute, didn't it? When God decides your body's going to stop working, it's going to stop. If you don't believe me, ask Bob Harper. Bob Harper was probably the most fit 51-year-old alive on the planet. He was the star of the show Biggest Loser. He had a massive heart attack a year ago. Not because he wasn't in shape and because he didn't eat right. It's pure genetics. When God says your body's going to stop, your body's going to stop. Verse 10, he sees that even the wise die and the fool and the stupid alike must perish. So you can't outwit death. You got this? You know, I'm not like these other dumb people in the world. I, I got a better plan. Well, even the wise are going to die. And all of us, you smart people and those of us who aren't so smart, we're all going to leave what we have to somebody else. We're going to leave our wealth to others. Because death is the common experience of every human being. Whether you're rich or poor, smart or dumb, 
There's no advantage anyone has. Verse 11, their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations. Though they called lands by their own names, man in his pomp or his glory will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. He said, okay, what does this exactly mean? Let me just lay it out there clearly. Here's what God's saying. Build a big house. Go ahead. Build a really big one. Build an elaborate one. Let people come and tour it. Build a big one. Buy a bunch of land. Put your name on it. Name the streets after yourself. Go ahead. In the end, here's what God's saying to you. In the end, you're going to be like your dog. You're going to die. Do you see that, verse 12? I, that is so confrontational. He doesn't say, man in his pomp will not remain. He's like all humans, he perish. He says, you're like the beasts that perish. Every living thing is going to die. Verse 13. Ooh. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Selah. Foolish confidence. You know what foolish confidence is? It's going to be different for me. Now, I want to be very careful with this next illustration. Please hear the heart behind it. I'm not trying to discourage anybody. But the new cancer mantra is, you've got this. Be careful with that. Be careful with this idea that you can lick it. Be careful that you don't come off with this overarching human confidence and will. Be careful how you communicate. Because here's what happens. When you speak in human confident words, people applaud it. That's what verse 13 says. They approve of their boast. People love self-confident people. But then they're sobering truth in verse 14. Like the sheep that are appointed for Sheol, death shall be their shepherd. Hmm. For those who trust the Lord, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is your shepherd. For those of you who are trusting in yourself, hear, hear this. God says death's your shepherd. He's coming to get you. The upright will rule in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. In other words, that big house you built and the land you named after yourself, you're not going there. You're going to a grave. So man-centered trust comes from a wrong understanding of wealth, a wrong understanding of life and death, a foolish confidence. And then this third one, this was the most challenging to this man this week. And that is a wrong understanding of blessing. Let me define blessing as I would from an overarching view of Scripture. Blessing is an undeserved gift from God for our good and for his glory. So it's a never a deserved gift, and it is never for our glory. A blessing 
is an undeserved gift from God for our good and for his glory. Now, when the world around us shapes our thinking, we begin to adopt the views of the world and drag them into the Christian faith to where now, as I listen to people talk, and I'm not, I'm not talking about people outside the church, I'm talking about people inside the church, not just this one, just American Christianity, more is what blessing is. A blessing is not an undeserved gift anymore. A blessing is more, more, more. Some of you may be wanting to fight already. Wow, I just don't agree with you. God wants to bless me. Now, what's really behind you when you say that in a defensive way? Verse 16. Do not be afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. Now, the first group of people he's confronting is the jealous people who want more and they're never going to have more and they're mad because other people have more. We're in the room too. Told you he hems us all in here. It's not just the person who has more, it's the person who wants more. Just just remember, just remember this. You're going to die and carry nothing away. Now in this culture of more equals blessing, we've taken the Christian faith and we're treating it like the secular world. The biggest section in a bookstore, go check it out next time you're there, is the self-help section. The largest area. Books about how you can improve you, how can you be a better you. Here's what I believe. I believe that some of you are here today. I believe that many people in America are associating with Christianity because they think Christianity is going to make you a better you. You're special. You deserve it. So just believe God for it. and You'll be blessed. We say things like this. Look at this Bentley God's blessed me with. You better watch it. You better be careful of what you assign to God. You say, well, I don't agree with you. Then you better read verse 18. For this person says, while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself... God's saying this, you earned that Bentley on your own. You did that yourself. You pursued that yourself. Don't you assign that to me. Don't you start claiming that a blessing. Because my blessings are undeserved and they're for your good and for your glory. They're never for your glory. They're never to exalt the person. (laughs) Now some of you are going, well, preacher, you know, You're preaching down at us. Think of how many people occupy a place like me and claim these kind of things. I had a young man tell me one time, I'm going into ministry because that's an easy way to make money. We're everywhere. There's, There's no immune place to this kind of thinking. It's everywhere. Here's what verse 19 and 20 say. Boy, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers and he will never see light again. 
So the person who thinks there's something, here's what Bible says. They're going to close the grave on you and you're never going to see light again. Darkness forever. Man in his pomp, man in his glory is without understanding. He thinks he's got it figured out. He thinks he's got this. He doesn't understand. He's just like his dog. He's going to die. So, Jeff, are you saying the Bible says I shouldn't have much? Listen to my answer very carefully. Not necessarily. You said it was a vague answer. Yes, it was. Some of you shouldn't have much. Let me rephrase that. Some of us shouldn't have much. That was the goal of my life before the Lord saved me. I would make big statements about what I was going to do and what I was going to have. Set my life on my ear. Changed everything. And I'm going to be honest with you while we turn to Matthew 6. I still battle that old man. Still do. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Jesus just puts his finger right on the heart of the matter. It's not about how much you have. That's not the core issue. The core issue is your heart. And here's how he says it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there Will, your heart will be also. Whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that you desire, whatever it is that you're living for, practically, that's what you worship. That's your God. Look down in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Money. Some of your translations tra- capitalize the word money. Somebody asked me after the service, why is this capitalized? The answer is the translator is making you see this, that you're elevating money to the level of God. Can't serve two gods. You can't serve money and the Lord God Almighty. So here's my question. Where, where is your treasure? What is it? Or who is it that you're serving? You you can't serve two masters. If you're serving money and wealth, then that path is death. When you serve God, the path is life. Verse 15. I love the Bible. The Bible hems you in, convicts you, tells the truth about you, and then the gospel breaks through. And right here it is in verse 15 that a God-centered trust leads to life. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me, Selah. I'm not headed down the pathway of those who are trusting in wealth. I'm trusting in God. It is God who will ransom me. He's going to ransom my soul, and he's going to receive me beyond the grave. He's going to receive me. How's he going to do this? Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, 
was walking ahead of his disciples, and it says they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to them, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to think this with me. The richest man in the world set it all aside. That's what Philippians 2 says. He set aside his glory. And he took the form of a man. A bondservant. And here's what he did. He became obedient to death death on a cross. He emptied himself of everything. Why? Because he was the only currency that could ransom you. And he gave his life, his sinless, perfect life in your place. He died on the cross for you in your place that you may not have to be shut up in darkness for the rest of eternity, but that you may be received by God through the ransom that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. His life is the currency. To give his life as a ransom for many. That means, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, when he ransoms you from death and gives you life, you now have no fear of death. Because when you die, you will be presented before the Father, holy and blameless and above reproach, and that through the blood of Christ. It also means this, there's no fear in this life. God's going to take care of me and my family. He promises he will. He promises that to every person here gathered. So as followers of Christ, we are here to live our lives as unto Christ, to work our jobs, to raise our families, to live out our retirements, all while being a good neighbor, a loving neighbor, and engaging in the mission of the church at this point in time in history for the sake of the gospel. This call for all of our lives. So, so then here's the ultimate question. Where is my trust? Is my trust in my stuff and in my money or is my trust in the Lord? In Mark chapter 8, Jesus calls the crowds to him with his disciples and he says this. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Ooh. I will not forget the day I first heard those words. I can remember the question ringing in my head over and over. Is Jesus worth your life? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. So you're following Jesus to do what he did. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He emptied himself. He lost his life. He's calling us. If we're going to save our life, we lose it. 
we lose our life for his sake and for the gospel's sake, we'll save it. Then he asks this question. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? That's what Psalm 49 is teaching you. You can gain it all. They can name, rename Gastonia after you and lose your soul. I've been the pastor here about a year. This young family moved to Gastonia. They attended here for a couple of months. Then they left. I hadn't seen them in several weeks. And they came back one Sunday, and the gentleman met me right here down front. This is how the conversation went. He said, Pastor, I just want you to know we are very grateful for the way you handle the Bible here, for the way the Bible is taught. We're very grateful for how our children have been handled and how our children have been taught. But I just got, you just need to know you don't have enough influential people here, and we're going to have to find a church that will help me in my career. <laughs> now, I know that's been repeated hundreds of times probably. But nobody had ever had the guts just to walk up and say it. What immediately came to my mind is a book. It's called Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis. I'm going to pick up in the story. Babbitt moves to this town and he develops a relationship with the banker because he wants a loan. And he listens for hours as the banker talks about his Sunday school and his Presbyterian church. And at the end of the conversation, he gives Babbitt a loan. This is the next paragraph in the book. After that, Babbitt went to church regularly. He announced to his friend Ted, I tell you, boy, there's nothing, there's not a stronger bulwark of sound conservatism than the evangelical church, and there's no better place to make friends who will help you get your rightful place in this community than a church. And I just wonder how many of you connect to the church because of conservative politics and financial gain. And I have a question for you. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Are you identifying with Jesus so you can get something? So you can get somewhere? You may say, no, 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 no. That's not me. All right, I have, a, I have a deeper question for you. Do you bail on your Christian faith the moment it's going to cost you something at your job? Because Jesus goes on to say, whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed of when he comes in his glory. Let's just be honest, brothers and sisters. We're making a lot of decisions when it comes to money, and some of them are deadly. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Are you trusting your wealth and what you can accomplish? Or are you trusting Christ with your life? Jesus said, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the truth of your word and that you speak clearly, straightforward, 
and directly to our lives. Lord, I confess that in my life I have trusted after things. I confess that I battle with the trust of things. And I confess that in this room there are men and women who share the same struggle. Lord, there are those here who even blatantly right now would say, I'm not laying down anything. Lord, may they hear the weight of what they're saying to their own soul. Lord Jesus, thank you that you ransomed your life, that you gave your life in our place. You are worthy of everything. You are worthy of our very lives. So Lord, I pray that with a sound and faithful confession, that we will rise to sing and confess our faith in Christ and that that faith would be evident as we walk from here to follow you. Lead us now as we sing in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.